Hello and welcome to the Mongols Podcast. This is Janusz, otherwise known as Samwise J. Morgenstern, and this is... Me, Bijubi. Otherwise known as Robin. Hi. <laughs> so, well, we're here for another episode of the Mongols Podcast. Jayberg is currently unavailable for the moment. They might just waltz in sooner rather than later. Potentially. We don't know. They do what they want. (laughs) It's okay. China doesn't expect the Mongols, so we don't expect (laughs) Jayberg. Jayberg is China. (laughs) Wait, no. Jayberg is the the Mongols. Indeed, indeed. Jayberg is the Mongols. And so our topic of the day is um, when the girls have to save the rest of the cast. And if you're wondering, no, this isn't some SJW pseudo history for you. Those ca- and to kick those Captain Redpool boys in the balls. This is actual real stuff. The real kind of of feminism that we all know and love. By feminism, I mean it's just we're including the females because they're important. Yeah. So this goes out to all the no, all, this goes out to all the lovely girls because congratulations. Not sure the, um, how much the estrogen had to deal with saving the Mongol Empire, but congratulations to save the Mongol Empire. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so we're going to have to um, go back at least a lot from where our current timeline is, where it's just um, stopping over at the death of Timur over in 1405. So we're going to have to backpedal to about shortly before Genghis' death. So all the way back to square one, I guess, if you could call it. <laughs> And mostly during this time, and this, then we're going to start right around the 1220s as Genghis is subjugating tribes, busting China, and kicking Persia down to uh, down a few pegs. And this is, and he mainly secures the tribal allegiances by uh, marriage alliances. Usually, he takes on the lower class people from the tribe that he subjugates, sets them up in charge, so long as they prove their loyalty. And marries them off to one of his daughters, and usually that and and usually that leads to enough loyalty to at least outlast his lifetime. So, well, nicely done. <laughs> and who doesn't love being married to a da- daughter? Daughter Genghis Khan. Yeah. Um, actually, quite a surprisingly small amount of people. So, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And these wives, but land is also given to uh, three of to mainly three of Genghis's wives that we're going to have a bit of a focus on. And this is sort of going to be like what I'd like to call the first generation of women saviors, I guess, if you want to call them that. And so we're going to focus on about three wives and four and four daughters. And kind of as for reference, if you guys are asking about Borte, um, don't she? She mostly just does fine and dies of natural causes, and everything's fine with her. She lives an okay life. Bingo. And so the first thing first, we're going to do uh, kind of do a quick look through the other three wives of Genghis that are important here, because keep in mind, Genghis isn't just married to a lot of wives; she's also raping a lot of. Actually, the sex gets complicated. Oof. <laughs> As do most things. So, we so the first three queens that we're going to go through are uh, Yesui, uh, Yesugen, and Kulan. 
And uh, I and the main thing that we have to remember here is that Yasui is remembered mostly throughout uh, Mongol history as sort of the one of the smarter people as far as Genghis's wives go. <laughs> he, mainly by virtue of she is actually chosen by Genghis to accompany him on his last campaign against the Tanguts, also known as the Xia Dynasty. And she all, and as part of um, Genghis and Genghis's inheritance stuff, she actually receives both the land of Togro Khan, Genghis's old mentor, and and which is along the Tul River over in modern day uh, Eastern Mongolia ish, and. And she also receives the uh, the Tangut land, which is just north of Tibet. And she gets to rule that for a short little while before Ogudei betrays everyone and yeets that out from under. And the second wife, and the third wife here is uh, Yesugen. There's not too much to say about her, but she does inherit the land of the Naimans, the people that Jamukha fled to shortly before he got his back broken by Genghis. Oh yeah, that happened. And this is generally in the Kangai Mountains of, a, of about modern-day Western Mongolia. And she gets to guard some trade for a little while, at least before Ogadei also yanks out her land. Yeah, this is going to be a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kulan is the final wife that we're going to talk about today from uh, Genghis's stuff. She's mostly known as the emotional favorite of... His young, um, of, of Genghis's later years, and she is the youngest. She's probably pushing her her, her, her early to mid twenties when Genghis officially kicks the bucket, and she gets the and she and she gets the lands of the Kenti, which is another tribe that Genghis subjugated for obvious reasons, and she gets to also guard some trade shortly before. Say it with me now. Ogude eats the land out from under her. Oh, Ogude does the thing with the land out from the thing, the thing. Indeed. <laughs> so now with the wives out of the way, let's move on to the four major daughters that we're going to look at. And these are uh, Alakai Beki, Alaltun, uh, Tolai, and Chechegan. These are mainly the daughters that have their... And stuff secured through strategic uh, through a strategic marriage to the chieftain that happens to be in charge of the tribe that Genghis set up. So the eldest here is Alakai Beki, and she is married to Alakush, chieftain of the Onguts. And her name apparently means Siberian marmot, and she is kind of known as the most powerful of Genghis's daughters, which is definitely saying a good amount. And, uh, and this is apparently proven supposedly at birth by her holding a blood clot on Genghis's hand during uh, during child uh, while Borte's going through childbirth. So Genghis is like, this girl's going to be powerful. Um, let's give her a good place. And so naturally she gets the Onguts and Alakush and things seem fine for a little while, but shortly before there's any sort of pregnancies from Alakush coming in, um, the Onguts actually revolt because they're realizing that Genghis is basically micromanaging everything around the Onguts, not letting them have a smidge of it, that much of a smidge of independence. And Alakush is mostly fine with that, that so long as uh, he has his wife and doesn't get murderized. Cue the Onguts revolting and murderizing their own chieftain. <laughs> 
So Alakai manages to gather some forces that are loyal to her and calls up Genghis for a hot minute, and she smashes the young goods really hard. Becky, let me smash. <laughs> so, the, but, but she is unfortunately without a husband and therefore without any um, legal ways to produce a legal heir to the Unguts. But thankfully, Alakush had a son long before she came along. So, and this son is called Jingyue, and the two marry. So, yes, you can start saying that Alakai Becky's life might as well be straight out of a porno. <laughs> Because she keeps on marrying her stepsons. Ew. Yeah, this is gonna get weirder and weirder. <laughs> and so Jingyue and and Alakai managed to marry, stay married for a few years, and he actually dies of natural causes, no revolt, thankfully. And they even have happened to happen to have a kid by the name of Nesude. And uh, for reference. Uh, Jingyue actually dies uh, shortly after the fall of uh, sh- shortly after the fall of the Quarzimids, the guys who got molten silver poured down their throats. You know, cause cause uh, you can't, you know, t- tasty silver. <laughs> gotta love it. Just gotta crunch that monch on the silver. So yep, and and so after that. Um, well, another part of the story is that Jingyue also had a brother named Boyahe, who was actually taken on campaign against, I believe, the Jin against the Jin Dynasty by by Genghis. Ah, oh, we just got a text from Jayberg. Um, his phone died. Apparently, he's going to be coming on very soon. So, yay! Wow. Um, we got Jayberg. So I guess we'll just be please holding for Jaber. Hello? Hello! Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah! Loud and clear, sir! Sorry about that. Uh, my, sorry, my, my phone died. That's alright. You didn't miss too much. Mostly we got through um, Ogude butchering Genghis's wives, and um, we're now getting through the life of uh, Genghis's eldest daughter. Okay. Gotta crunch that mopch on that silver, am I right? <laughs> yeah, because we're already on uh, Alakai Becky's second husband, who dies shortly after the Quarzimids basically got murderized. Oh. So, anyways, Boyaha manages to. Boyaha is married at the age of 12 to his stepmom. Yes, Alakai Becky's life is turning into a porno. No, I will not explain why. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, yep, and Negude is actually taken on campaign with uh, on campaign uh, at a at a later date, several years down the line, against the Song Dynasty. This is probably some around uh, Ogude's early reign, shortly before, uh, shortly after the Jin are murderized. And the Song apparently are a bit better fighters than I give them credit for sometimes because they actually uh, kill Negude. And keep in mind that's Alakai Becky's one and only kid, or son, whatever you want to say. And let's just say she's depressed. Well, I mean, I'd be depressed if someone killed my kid. And she's on menopause, so let's just say she won't be getting another kid out anytime soon. 
And see, this is this is why you just steal children. <laughs> I guess you could say that. It's Mongolia. Who's going to stop you? <laughs> okay. Literally no one. <laughs> You're not wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> so, the next thing that Al-Kabeki does in order to secure any sort of uh, Genghisid overhold on the Unguns is basically she doesn't she doesn't marry anyone she just gets her she just gets males within the Ongu tribe to marry into Genghis's family oh. so naturally um I'm going to have to call my uncle back on that but anyway so the story goes that the whole is that the whole uh <laughs> is that is that Al-Kaibeki's little system of getting Genghis' daughters to marry Ongu chieftains works for the next couple centuries, even though the Ongu chieftains are slowly reduced to a more symbolic role by Ogude and basically everybody that follows. So, that's basically what happens to Al-Kaibeki, but she's kind of slowly raced into history books. No. By virtue of, um, she's um, she basically is censored out of the secret history of the Mongols. Becky, no. Uh, rip. Yeah, so the thing with that is like, so the secret history of the Mongols is the main Mongoloid source on on Genghis's life and shortly and what shortly happens after his death. But keep in mind it it's written it's written like it's fully completed only about a couple of years after Genghis's death and the writer happens to be in service of Ogude, so he's a little bit more than disparaging about the wives and daughters of Genghis Khan to kind of justify Ogude murderizing them, or at least murderizing their lands. Because keep in mind, Ogude doesn't actually kill any of the girls in battle. He just happens to seize their lands upon their deaths. What a gentleman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. That's what we have alcoholism for. Oh, jeez. <laughs> See, if you don't die in battle, you'll die of alcoholism. <laughs> you get no choice in the matter. <laughs> so you better die in battle. <laughs> That's a threat. <laughs> so, it is a threat. If, if, if you don't die in battle, I will personally go back in time and cue alcohol. <laughs> So the next daughter we're going to get to is Al Altoon, and she is the and she is married to the Uyghurs, is his chieftain also known as the Idikut, or at least that's the Uyghur title. The name of the Idikut is never actually dropped, so that's basically what I'm going with. And he's sort of named as the fifth son of Genghis by default, but he's not entirely happy with that. Don't worry, he's not going to revolt. He's not that dumb. And another kind of note, um, they're also, as virtue of being the Uyghurs and being the most civilized of the barbarian tribes of the steppes, they get control over mostly a lot of trade. Now, generally there is a lot of trade being guarded by all the wives and daughters of Genghis, but uh, Alautun really hasn't made there as far as trading goes. So she gets so like they have control over the wine trade, the silk trade. There's a decent amount of writing going on. So 
Yeah, she's definitely living probably the most luxurious life out of all the daughters of Genghis Khan, which is definitely saying a lot. And she and, and they own numerous trade cities, including the Uyghur capital, Bashbalik. And another kind of note is that sometimes in some records, she's also known as Il Altun, and that's kind of important because Il actually means subordinate. So naturally, you can imagine that she's never going to be entirely moved up all that far in the world because it'll mean subordinate, I guess. The next daughter right here, Tolai, is just straight up what I'm going to call the invisible woman. Because I literally, I shoot not, she just disappears from the history book shortly after she, shortly after Genghis kicks the bucket. But we do know some spares details, for instance, that she is the third daughter of Genghis Khan via, via Borte, and she is married off to the leader of the Karlik Turks, who is known as Arslan Khan, and Arslan Khan in Turkish translates to basically Lion King. That title's not going to last very long. Not because he revolts against Genghis. Genghis just doesn't necessarily like him being called Arslan Khan. So Genghis gives him a new title upon him receiving his bride, which is Sarkatai, which is basically of the Sart. So, I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. And the thing here is, and the thing here that is kind of really important that Genghis also set up as part of the system is that only the daughters of Genghis are legitimate, so only they get to, as only their issue get to be the legitimate heirs to the tribes that the daughters of Genghis are set up over, so. Naturally, that so naturally that means yes, you can have otherwise, but no, their kids will not be legitimate. But otherwise, um, not much else is known to Tolai. So we know that she outlives Genghis, and we're pretty sure that she gets to live up pretty late into Ogude's reign. But otherwise, um, she disappeared. Probably censored out of the secret history as well, just like Al Kaibaki and Al Altun before her. Don't you just love it when people just disappear? I love it. Happens frequently. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. <laughs> Who in the fuck set their, uh, set their microwave on fire this time? I don't think I want to know about that. I know I do. I this is the fourth time this week! <laughs> oh my gosh. The microwave is burning like the Library of Alexandria. Oh, why did you have to bring up the Library of Alexandria? Cool. I could talk for an hour about how mad that makes me. I know, we could have been to Mars right now if that thing wasn't set ablaze, stupid Caesar. <laughs> Fucking Caesar. Who was horny off his ass because I'll guess it was banging him. <laughs> I'll stab him. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just stab everyone. I'll stab awesome. everyone. Don't worry. He, <laughs> don't worry. He already. Don't worry. He gets murderized by twenty-three stabs to the chest, because apparently, a general rule of Roman history is trust that a guy named Brutus will revolt against you if you go too kingly. That's true. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll stab him. I got a new book on Rome actually just now. S Q Q R: The History of Ancient Rome by Mary Beard. 
Oh, I've heard the name. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. So, but anyways, back to the Mongols because we've got we've got slaughtering to do. Woo! My favorite. (laughs) So we've got to the last daughter, Cheche again, who kind of gets the short end of the stick in all things. As you do. And she is married out to the poorest tribe of the bunch, the Oirats, and. And her husband apparently is named Inalchi. Not much else is known. And the other thing that's kind of important about the Orats is that they're also the first non-herding tribe that joins the Mongols. And they're mostly situated up over in Siberia. So naturally with that, they've got access to a lot of furs. But otherwise, besides that, we don't know too much about her. The secret history doesn't mention too much, and the primary sources are notoriously vague because she's probably a million miles away from them because they're mostly situated in Persia and China. And shortly after her death in about 1237, um, she is actually the first daughter of Genghis Khan to fall to Ogude, betraying everyone. Well, technically her territory because she's already dead. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably a good thing because Okute is really nasty when he conquers up shit. Like, basically, so the story here goes is that he kidnaps about 4,000 girls from Chechi against Orats, has them all raped and massacred. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's... That's not fun. It's I'll, brutal. It's brutal. I mean, I'll go back in time and stab him, too. I, I got nothing against stabbing people. <laughs> well, we've got four years of alcoholism for him to go for Ogade, so that's the good thing, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, so... The, uh, main, the main cause for those girls being kidnapped, raped, and massacred? Well... Ogade's main excuse is that they were not sent to his harem by Chacha again, so... Apparently that's his reason, but honestly, he's probably so drunk off his ass he wouldn't have taken the time to actually bang them. So, hard to say. Men. <laughs> I noticed. Like, you just, just, I don't, I, I, no. No men. I'll, I'll just. <sighs> and... Tolai, of course, is still the missing lady in action, so we're just going to jump off of that horse and get over to Alautun, who is definitely not doing well at all. I mean, because, well, we kind of fast-forwarded through the next four years, and Ogude died of alcoholism, naturally. Mm-hmm. And, well, and he and he is technically succeeded by and um, and Ogude is succeeded by his son Guyuk, but Guyuk and but Guyuk has an overbearing mom in the form of Torajin. Have no idea how I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I am, and she actually decides to uh, eat out uh, Al Altoon's land by virtue of. Hey, um, I'm going to accuse you of poisoning my husband. Uh-oh, sisters. And Alatoon's like, you think I would really have the guts to do that? So, but naturally the trumped-up charges eventually go through the Mongol court and Torajin gets our girl Alatoon tortured and executed and twelve, shortly, shortly after Ogude's death and... 
Uh, the, and she and uh, in order to rule the Anguts, um, Torajin appoints her daughter Ally Ally and Becky, and uh, that girl is going to drop out of the history books real fast. Wait, another Becky or the same Becky? A totally different Becky, <laughs> because Alakai is stupid dead. <laughs> well, I mean, like she's not. She's very she's intelligently dead. dead. She's intelligently dead. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So. <laughs> and her heirs are based, and her and her own good heirs are relegated to a symbolic role mostly because, well, Torajin's just naturally that overbearing as far as moms go. But in the meantime, she's. Uh, but in the meantime, over the next five years, uh, Torajin actually notices that maybe Guyuk isn't the best of heirs to raise. Big surprise, and she's raising him over in Karakorum, which is basically a small trading city that basically works as the functional Mongol capital. This was set up by Ogade during his time, and Torjin kind of and Torjin starts dis, trying to distance herself from starts trying to distance herself from Guyuk as he's getting older and attaining more power. And in the meantime, she actually gets close with one of her servant girls, who is. Probably um, from uh, from some of the lower reaches of Central Asia. Her name is Fatima, obviously named for the daughter of Muhammad. And um, and over time, they used to grow in friendship because they're both like we're sort of in a life that we never wanted. And now we'll just and so eventually they come up with a bold plan to. Run away and live in peace and quiet, which Gee, is. Uh, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that peace and quiet isn't going to come. <laughs> no. Guyuk apparently has some pretty big ears because he hears about the whole plot and captures them both. And basically, he and basically pulls that whole Fatima's Fatima is this foreigner that has corrupted my mother sort of gig, and basically has Fatima tortured until Fatima confesses to corrupting Torajin, and Torajin dies of natural causes as she realizes that her best girlfriend is just tortured to link uh, tortured to leak falsehoods until she dies. And this is a depressing episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not pretty at yeah, all. It's no. only going to get worse from oh, here. Oh, <laughs> jeez. And so Fatima is executed, and Guyuk doesn't last very long about this. About 18 months or so after Torajin and Fatima's death, he dies, possibly a poisoning. We're not entirely sure, but we're... But to some extent, there is enough implied, at least from the text I'm reading, that maybe his wife, Ogul Gamish, had a little bit of a hand in his death. We're not entirely sure. It's hard to say. People keep on blaming the girls for poisoning anyway. And as kind of for reference, I am using uh, Jack Weatherford's Secret History of the Mongol Queens. Very good book. And that's kind of what enlightened me to how important the uh, girls were to the functioning of the Mongol Empire. Securing trade routes and stuff, which is important for an empire mostly built on trade and brutal conquest. Mm-hmm. Girls are, are amazing. They're powerful. We, yeah. we, we stand girls. <laughs> I guess. 
And Ogle Gamish kind of moves a little west of uh, Karakorum, specifically near Lake Balkash over in like Uzbekistan, I think. And she actually gets a delegation from Louis the Ninth of France. Louis the Ninth of France, for the record, for the record, is actually known as the Crusader King. Hilarious because he doesn't win any crusades, obviously. Wouldn't he eventually die on crusade? Oh yeah, that's right. He did. He died on his second crusade. Yeah. He. This is before he dies on his second crusade. I'm pretty sure. I forgot that France existed. <laughs> I don't know how that how you can do that. That's a, that's I, a geeky mood right there. Well, <laughs> forgetting how that 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 France exists. Yep. That's a mood. So and. This dele- and this delegation is actually led by Andrew of Longmo, and it's somewhat and, and in the sense of like the French actually record um, Ogil Gamish as pretty kind and smart and everything, but the Muslim histories, which are a little closer to home for Ogil Gamish, are um, way more disparaging. They're basically they're basically like saying like she's very blunt towards the French missionary and basically is telling them to. Get the frick out unless Louis the Ninth is bringing some tribute payment. Oh, moon. So it's hard to say what exactly she was like, considering our main sources are totally contradictory. And but the, but the, and I think the main thing there is that Louis the Ninth basically sent the fry over there to try to arrange a crusade with the Mongols against the Muslims of Egypt. Like every other delegation of crusaders and Mongols trying to come together, it doesn't work out, obviously. Naturally. We, ca- <laughs> we kind of mentioned this with William Rubrick, who wrote his fairly inaccurate book on the Mongol Empire. Mood. But, uh, but the thing is, well, um, we've got... Um, Apparently, Jaybrook's setting uh, their microwave on fire. <laughs> no, that's not me this time. Sorry. Hang on. So, anyways, with that in mind, Ogle Gamish isn't completely secure on her throne because she's got problems. Namely, the five or six party conspiracy that was trying to get Guyu killed that, uh, that, we mentioned la- um, that we mentioned last podcast. And this... Mm, and this is the conspiracy that was mainly led by Sorkoktani to engineer Monku's rise to the, to the position of Great Khan. And this plan comes to full fruition about 1250. And Sorkoktani uh, totally his wife manages to outmaneuver Ogle Gamish and get her killed. So that's basically Ogle Gamish's brief spotlight in Mongol history. She's She did. <clears throat> And Monka is set up by Sorkatani to rule, and base and, and Batu and and Chagatai's heirs base Batu and Chagatai's heirs basically uh, note themselves out of saying yes to the Khan. This is secretly a metaphor for the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of gave them a bit too much independence, Genghis. Oh my I think everything at this point is just a metaphor for the Roman Empire. <laughs> You're not wrong there, honestly. Like so much happened. It's like it's like supernatural gifts. Like there's just, there's there's a, a a moment for everything. 
Mm -hmm. So on another note, as for another highlight on a fairly badass girl, uh, we get Ebuskun, who is actually one of the many wives of Chagatai, the second son. And shortly after his death in about 1242, she, uh, she takes over as regent for, as regent for Chagatai's grandkid, Kara Hulegu. And basically that ensures some level of stability for the Chagatai Khanate as it slowly slips more and more into mediocrity. And doesn't get mentioned much in history books, but its mediocrity is actually its saving grace. Oh. Because it kind of survives in one form or another up until about the 17th century, which is props for sticking around, dude. Seriously, yeah. I mean it. <laughs> Even if you weren't that much of a power, but hey, seriously, awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we got so we got that in mind, but while but uh, while Chagatai's heirs are. Not exactly too much in the saddle. Another guy sort of takes uh, sort of takes over the Chagatai Khanate in the form of of Ogude's grandson Kaidu, which guess I means that he got a really shitty dad. But at least he's not going to have an entirely shitty life. He's kind. Of, he's he's basically a he's basically one of those like really standout stoke bad, stoke male badasses that comes out of Genghis's line. Like seriously, this guy doesn't even drink alcohol. So, yay, yay to that because alcoholism seems to ruin everything in this family. Yep. <laughs> so no alcohol, no affairs, but and he pops out. 14, and he pops out like 14 kids with his wife or wives. Jesus. That's a lot of sex. <laughs> that is a lot of sex. And his favorite is actually the youngest, a daughter named Kutlun, who you might remember from podcast number three as basically the undefeated wrestler of Mongolia because she's just mm. a straight up badass. Yes, oh my gosh. I would love for her to defeat me in battle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Robin. <laughs> so she's and she and also on another note, she's the only she's the only woman at least of this at least of this generation to bear an actual badge of office, which is Basically, like one of those passports that one of those bronze passports that Kublai was passing out earlier. So she was like the top of the badasses. Yeah, that's so she. So she's getting something that's typically given to men, and there's a lot of awesomeness to that. She also stays single for a great chunk of her life, and that leads to a lot of weird ass speculations from the shippers in the room. Yes, there are shippers in the fourteenth and the and the twelfth and the thirteenth century. No, we should not be addressing them and giving them platforms because they're toxic idiots. See, when you said room, I thought you meant this room, and I thought you were talking about me, and I was all like, Ey. "Oh, don't worry, I'm a sh I'm a toxic shipper and deprecate myself for funsies anyway." Dang. <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> it's nothing that bad. So, but anyways, the Mongols actually speculate for a very long time that. Kutlun's basically sleeping with her dad, Kaidu. Oh, ew. Yeah, I know. Ew. And that's why she's been swearing off men. But obviously there's no evidence for this, but it maybe. is a speculation. See, maybe she's just gay. Oh, and that's not, the, that's not the reality either. Because keep in mind, she eventually does have to get married. 
Well, okay, yeah, but so do a lot of lesbians in the ye olde days. Okay, you're not wrong there, but for the moment, I have to assume that she's either hetero or bi. Okay. Because okay, she, does get, she, does get married to a, she does get married to a guy, but that's a little later down the line. Because keep in mind, Kuku uh, has a very strange way of remaining single. So remember that insane wrestling record she racked up? Mm-hmm. So she mainly racked that up by beating a shit ton of guys who tried to woo her into marriage. Yeah, she's got to be a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's got to be, like, a, a, a really, really badass butch lesbian. <laughs> okay, I will never get that image out of my head. Cause she's got, because you don't, you know, straight woman would beat a whole bunch of guys at wrestling and just, just be, like, like, you can't, the, shit don't line up. She's got to be gay. <laughs> I hope she's gay, because when I go back in time to stab a whole bunch of people, I'll, 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 I'll flirt with her. <laughs> Like, oh, hey. timeline, Robin. The timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the timeline. <laughs> oh, screw the timeline. <laughs> Who knows? We might be able to mix the timeline bad enough that World War One doesn't happen. <laughs> oh my gosh! Could you imagine, like, just taking advantage of 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 this this badass Mongolian lady's lesbianism and just completely change history? <laughs> Because I too am a very gay being. <laughs> oh, dearie. So, anyway, so back to Kutlun, and but eventually she does find, I guess you could say, the one. And this happens to be in uh, this guy named Abtakul, who is who happens to meet Kutlun in a very strange way. Mainly, he tries stabbing her dad. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh all the heck you want on that. It's weird. Yeah, you killed my dad, so wanna bang? <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. <laughs> so try to stab a guy and end up marrying her, his, and end up banging the heck out of his kids. <laughs> See, okay, so so she's she's. By and has a knife kink. We're we're we're. This is Kutlun, the wrestler with a knife kink. You heard it here first, people. This is a this has been a conspiracy corner with with me. <laughs> we don't know what any tinfoil hats. I'm denying such things. <laughs> I am a tinfoil hat. What are you talking about? Oh, har har har! Don't we all know? But anyways, so the other. Uh, but anyways, uh, by this time, uh, uh, by the time that uh, Kutlun marries, uh, Kutlun gets married. Uh, Kublai is very much in charge of China, and he doesn't like the fact that Kaidu is basically in charge of the uh, basically in charge of the Chagatai Khanate and is kind of doing some raiding. So naturally, he sends an army after Kaidu, which fails. Pretty harshly, because well, it's because the, because the army is mostly made up of Chinese infantry, and that's not very good at catching fast-moving Mongol horsemen. So Kaidu um, does lose some battles, but he keeps on getting away. So naturally, he's still very much alive, and he even has a has a good few stabs back at, uh, stabs back to try to retake Karakoram out from. 
out from uh, Kublai's thumb, which don't exactly work out because apparently Kaidu does not have the siege engines or the time to actually take Karakorum. But keep in mind, like, Karakorum isn't too much of a capital. It isn't entirely lavish, which is why we can't really even find it anymore. It's, it's mainly just a giant-ass trade depot. Basically, drop off your goods here and keep on moving. Caramel corn. Don't know how that happened. Car- caramel corn? Caracorum. Car- caracorum. Caramel it's close corn. enough. <laughs> caramel corn. <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so, with that in mind, um, so, so, Unfortunately, the last stab that uh, Kaidu makes to take Karakorum is a little bit fatal for... is a little bit sort of fatal for Kaidu. He doesn't actually die in the battle against Kublai's forces, but he loses a lot of people and he gets wounded, and so he needs to figure out a way to bluff towards... Uh, uh, to, uh, to bargain for his life. So basically, he pulls... Uh, takes a page out of uh, Genghis's old book and basically... And basically sets up a bajillion campfires during the night. And keep in mind, so like, Kublai's forces are pursuing him during the nighttime, and they're suddenly th- noticing all these campfires. Wait, does that mean that we're surrounded? Oh, fuck. That doesn't sound good. Run away! Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, naturally, Kublai's forces are basically bluffed into running the frick away from Kaidu, even though Kaidu doesn't have that much strength left. So Kaidu and Kutlun get away with their lives, and they manage to get back home, but on the way, uh, Kaidu's wounds are being treated, and the treatment kind of goes a bit wrong, and I'm, when I mean by horribly wrong, I mean by he catches dysentery and dies. You have died of dysentery. <laughs> it's like it's the Oregon Trail all over again. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, oh, this is... Mo- super dysentery. <laughs> to be fair, the Mongol Empire sometimes can be more dangerous than the Oregon Trail, but... There you go. <laughs> because only in the Mongolian Empire can you die of dysentery twice. <laughs> so, anyways, Kaidu's dead of dysentery, and Kublin sort of drops out of history books. And keep in mind, we only have, like, really one primary source on her. That primary source being Marco Polo. <laughs> Marco. Bubonic plague. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... And and the thing is, she's in, not even called Kutlun in uh, Ilmilion. She's actually called Ajaruk. I actually forgot what that means, but whatever. She's she's uh, she shows up in Marco Polo, and basically, he's the only source that describes her vividly enough that we can say this is Kutlun. This is what she was doing, and dear goodness, she was badass. And she and her husband kind of vanish out of the history books, but we know enough to figure out that her death date is about 1306. So at least we can say that she had a pretty long, fulfilling life, but otherwise, uh, Hogan's line is going to kind of drop out of the history books. It's not going to really show up again, or at least in a significant capacity, because keep in mind, 14 kids are going to do a lot of banging. Oof. I know that for a fact. <laughs> so yep. Can we can we just uh, just uh, put an oof in the chat for just everything? <laughs> just one big oof. 
that's fair. So we've got through so we got through Kutlun. Um, Sirkatani is basically dead of old age because and um, and she's also super pissed at Kublai for basically betraying everybody and uh, betraying everybody but Hulegu shortly after uh, shortly after the death of Monka. And Kublai is mainly just being rejected left and right as Great Khan. He's basically the last guy to actually lay claim to that title. And he's the only, and he's definitely the last one with the resources to actually make that known. But also, Kaidu kind of keeps him on edge because there's just, and because Kublai's armies just simply can't keep up with Kaidu's armies on steps. So Kublai, so Kublai and his descendants are mainly just constricted to the to the to the territories of the Great Khan, which is basically just China, Tibet, China, Tibet, Korea, and the home steps of eastern and western Mongolia. So that's kind of just where we're going to leave them for the moment. But and we're going to have to do a lot of fast forwarding, so please excuse the timeline jumbles. We're heading towards the final act, specifically um, a gal, a gal by the name of Samur Gunj. But before we do that, we have to give a little bit of a spotlight to the uh, to the Koreans, because the Koreans, unlike the Ming Chinese, actually stick with the Mongols for a short little while. In the sense of like they. They do get subordinate kings, but otherwise they're they're mostly fine with the Mongols. They they get queen they get queens from Genghis's line. They're, they're just basically killing it, and they're also basically known in the Mongolian tongue as the Rainbow Land of the Son-in-Law. So <laughs> Rainbow Land. Rainbow Land. Did I hear? Did I? Yeah. Did I hear gay? Did I? Hear gay? <laughs> So yep. So we so now we so now we fi- so finally with that round and Korea basically finished up here. We're going to finally get to Samur Gunj, and she's born some around the 1380s. And well, she, it's kind of hard to tell when she's in power, but we mostly know. And also, and also, we're kind of a bit confused on our day of birth, but we mostly got it down to the decade. So. And she's born into the first generation shortly after the. Oh, oh looks like Jay Burke was kicked off the call. Oh, geez, I'm gonna have to call him back. Give me a hot second. Do, 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 do. You guys there? Yep. Yep. Hey. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. You're we'll all just right, call it. We'll just call it technical difficulties. <laughs> so yeah, but anyways, we are at Samur, and Samur is kind of running into a lot of problems. Uh, into a lot of problems. Um, she is actually the daughter of Albek Khan, a distant descendant of Kublai's line, and. Albeg Khan kind of has a problem. A girl problem, to be more precise. Gay? Um, no more like he wants to bang his daughter-in-law. Oh! Ew! <laughs> I know, right? 
So Albekan basically, so Albekan, as far as I know, as the story goes, he spots her naked in the shower. Yes, straight out of an anime, might as well be. And he is smitten, develops a crush, and engineers, and with his prime minister, basically engineers the death of his son. And he officially gets up his daughter-in-law's pants. And, well, that doesn't last very long because, um, turns out the daughter-in-law did fall for a bit for the son of Albeit Khan, and she's kind of bitter. And what I mean by bitter, she engineers the death of both the Prime Minister, um, basically some trumped-up charges of the Prime Minister supposedly trying to rape her. So the prime minister is killed, and Albert Khan's death is engineered shortly thereafter by the same gal, and she, oh geez, not again. Skype, stay smart. Okay. Quit um, stupidly Quit, uh, dying. You have to intelligently die. You yeah, and you have to make sure to not kick off Jay Burke. It isn't Seven Pillars of Wisdom by Sabaton? Darn. Okay, so what were you saying about the Mongolians? Oh, Lady killed her... Second husband slash father-in-law. Yeah. So, Albeit Khan is dead, and Samur is sort of hidden away, and her mother, who was the first wife to Albeit Khan, actually gets custody. Although she, although the mother kind of sort of got custody just before Albert Khan got murderized. Oh, okay. And Samur manages to not die and get married. Specifically into the Choros clan of the Oirats. And if you remember the Oirats, you should be because those were Chechegan's people before Chechegan's lands got murderized by Ogade. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of what's left over. And the uh, and um and in the savage fighting and civil war that's kind of going on, the the Choros clan uh, the Choros clan kind of loses its leaders, which happens to be um, Samur's uh, husband and later her son. So she's sad, but she really needs to get her family back into action, and she basically does all the engineering for that, and she. And, and, and thankfully, uh, her son actually has a kid by the name of Essen. And Essen becomes the Taishu, which is basically the prime minister of the Mongol Empire. Or at least what's left of the Yuan Dynasty from Kublai's line. So, not much. But Samur is, but Samur is basically, but Samur as Essen's grandma basically pressures the, basically pressures. You guys know the library's closed, right? No. Everybody's gone. Okay. Um, yes, we'll be finishing leave. up here in a couple minutes. No, you minutes. need to leave now. Okay. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to make a second recording somewhere else. The Mongols podcast will be back shortly after these messages. And we're back. Sorry we got kicked out of the library. It, it happens. But anyways, so... Back to um, um, so anyways, back to Samur, and she is born into the Taurus clan. Uh, she is married into the Taurus clan of the Oirats. She is the daughter of Albay Khan, and 
Dengus's line is in a really defunct place as far as Mongol and being home in Mongolia goes. They're basically either drinking or quarreling or being replaced by strongmen. Mm-hmm. And since they're not getting killed by the strongmen, they're more just being relegated back to being side characters with the strongmen. So that's just kind of what happens there. And um, but Samur is going to get this change. She actually she brings up her grandson Essen, and they take over most. And over the next few years, they take over most of Mongolia and Gansu province over in western China. And they and from the 1440s onward, they keep on just rescuing lost heirs of Genghis from wherever they happen to be and trying to set up a solid line of succession so things don't go kaput. But while Samurs is enjoying getting her family back together for a pretty classic reunion, um, Essen is slowly noticing problems over the years as the years go by, and namely that the, that the Borgian family keeps on quarreling, keeps on arguing, keeps on drinking. And he's just... And he just keeps on getting disappointed each and every time that he's expecting more, and sort of in a last ditch, and sort of in a last ditch attempt to actually restore his faith in them, he actually marries off his sister to to one of the heirs of Genghis that he sets up as official Khan of the Mongols. Keep in mind that's kind of a in quotes term because well. Essen has the real power here. That's not even counting Samur's own branch of power. And and the, and the Golden Horde, the Chagatai Khanate, and, and whatever's left of the Timurids are still not saying yes to the Khan. So there's not much power here, obviously. But we do have the heirs of Genghis in a reasonably safe and secure place, at least for the next hot moment. And this even lasts long enough for uh, Essen's sister to actually have a son with one son with the Khan, but Essence patience isn't holding. He's expecting these he's expecting these new heirs to Genghis to kind of rise up like Genghis did, but alcoholism has taken them a really long way down, as I'll put it. Of course. Also as another kind of wondering if you're if you're not here in Jayberg, it's because well, he's run to, uh, they've run into technical difficulties, and we'll just call them back uh, for next podcast. Yeah. So, anyways, that's the situation there, and so oh, by 1452, uh, so by 1452, Essen has completely lost faith, and he's just done here. He actually gets his brother-in-law assassinated, Ooh. installs another puppet, then doesn't like him, kicks him out probably gets him stabbed too and he starts just stabbing Jengus's uh, heirs left and right and Samur's like I trusted you grandson what the ch- what the fuck <laughs> oh my gosh and she's like she's panicking because all her life's work all her attempts at restoring the former Borge and glory is completely slashed basically we're just down to like one of her, one of Essen's sisters getting pregnant and trying to run for her life. And Samur's like, um, this is the last one. I'm going to protect her like my life depends on it. Which it basically does. Oof. So Samur 
and manages to negotiate one with one of Essen's disgruntled generals. I somehow did not catch the name of that disgruntled general, but there you go. <laughs> disgruntled man. <laughs> that's uh, that's close enough. So Gris- disgruntled man decides to uh, get the granddaughter under his protection, and they're going to run out of Mongolia as <laughs> fast as they can and keep on running. Don't stop because Essen is coming. And Essen finally shows up on whatever remains of Samuel's forces, and she's like, um, General, get her out of here. I've got this. And she basically uh, leads off her army into one last major battle, one last major battle against Essen's forces. And the clash is mostly, and the clash is mostly even, uh, mostly even. Lots of people die on both sides, and. Essen is eventually sort of forced retreat, but Samura no longer has the energy. She's just too old for this fight. And she dies um, shortly after the battle, like a few weeks to a couple months. But Essen's not, not long for this world either. Because with all that betraying and stabbing of Genghis' heirs and all the killing he had to do just to get those guys back, he's got a lot of enemies. And people are also somewhat losing faith because... Wait, you're Essen Khan, but how are you getting beaten by this old grandmother? <laughs> so there you go. And in the meantime, the, uh, his sister has gone away, and she has given birth to by a monk, a prosperous eternity, and he's going to be a relatively important side character for next podcast. Ooh, important side characters. That's my favorite <laughs> kind. So anyway, so, but we've got to finish up Essen Khan real fast here. And one of his enemies is Bakho, who was apparently who apparently lost his dad while Essen was trying to reunite the Mongols under Simur's allegiance. So Bakho tracks down Essen and kills him and hangs him from the top of a tree. As one does. Yeah, the Mongols continue to not be nice. <laughs> but Simur dies with kind of the idea that, hey, um, something is. Uh, 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 um, the Borgians aren't done here yet. We're going to make a comeback very soon. Just you wait. And we're going to be doing some waiting. But anyways, we've kind of come to the end of Samur's story. And that means we've come to all, gone through all the setup. And we're going to set up the next great podcast of the Mongols. Specifically, the rise of Manduhai the Wise. And basically, I'm going to leave you with the teaser that the author of the secret, or- secret history of the Mongol queens, Jack Weatherford, basically heard from the Mongols that basically this gal might as well be Genghis Khan reincarnated into a girl. So she's badass. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that kind of just leaves us there. And anyways, I'm probably going to be and I'm going to be leaving a lot of links to basically what whatever you guys need to to look us up um robin uh for robin i'm um, just look wherever biz juby happens to be heck yeah um as for myself um just look up uh, i'm going to be leaving the link to my youtube channel samwise j morgenstern also you can tweet me at youngbards101 you can also find us on facebook via history with samwise j morgenstern and we'll and also on another matter, um, I also have a Patreon at Samwise and called Samwise J Morgenstern. So find that if you want to. And 
since we're recording on Anchor here, you can also set up a support donation plan if you want to. Not necessarily calling guys to do it, just if you want to. If you like this podcast and want to see more of it and more researching and book buying from me because I do not have all the books for this. (laughs) Big surprise. (laughs) And I'm also going to be leaving an Amazon link for people to snag up copies of The Secret History of the Mongol Queens because it is a stupidly good and entertaining book. Seriously, probably my favorite book on the Mongols. I've used this quite extensively throughout the years as my as my study of a, being a history major keeps on growing. And, well, you've been listening to the Mongols podcast. Um, Bizubi and Samai J. Morgenstern here and Jaybrook sometimes jumping in randomly. <laughs> and we'll be next covering the Mind to Manduhai the Wise. Heck yeah. Bye. Peace out. <laughs>